Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Lowdown. Today I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by the head of performance at FC Utrecht, Jerome Peters. Jerome, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me and good to see you in real life after a long while. Jerome, as we discussed briefly there, I mean, it's been quite a while in the making. As you know, tuning into the podcast to begin every episode by asking the guest, what was the earliest football memory? And for you, it's no different. Nope, I have one. Uh, I thought of it this morning, listening to your podcast that you put live uh, yesterday or two. Um, I was about four or five years old, playing a, a football match at our local footy club. And I was wearing this nice green shirt, nice green jersey. And um, what I do know is I was not involved in the game at all. I was looking at the sky, uh, birds flew over, I was watching the, the the pitch next to us where a game was uh, uh, being played. I was watching everyone except for where the ball was. I was checking my surroundings and looking at the bigger picture. And um, that is my one and only memory that I have from that age, five years old, uh, um, that I'm quite fond of because I still like, like to look at the bigger picture uh, on a daily basis. So... Uh, I've not changed much, so that's a, that's maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. <laughs> so you could say blue sky thinking. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I like the game, but uh, I, I was never a, a good football player. I like to be involved in a team and working towards a goal, and um, I love sports in general. Uh, um, and yeah, I have a lot of sport memories, but not specific football, but this. One football memory is quite strong in my mind. So uh, whenever I think of football, that that's the one image that I go back to, looking at all other things than the ball and just looking at my surroundings and checking in on everyone and everything. And um, maybe that's a that's normal for a kid, but I was not the focused. I want to um, win games, and I need to. Uh, uh, I want to have the ball and I want to score. I just wanted to have fun, basically. That was my, uh, I think that was my my biggest motivator, even back then. And fun aside, I mean, it, it certainly wasn't the aesthetic that kind of brought you back into football and years later. I mean, Jerome, what was it? What was the unique thing about football that brought you back in? Because obviously right now you're working in a high-performance realm. Yeah. Um, I went to uni and then uh, you have to do an internship and then I met uh, a, a mentor that uh, guided me for a few months and he's like uh, the first patient I'm, I'm, I'm a, a physiotherapist by trade and the first patient I saw he was looking at me and he's like, wow, you need, you need to get out of here. You need to get out of the private clinic practice and use your energy uh, uh, for, for uh, sports because there's tons of them. And uh, um, he got me an internship at FC Utrecht uh, in 05 and um, started at working at Utrecht six months later, uh, working for the youth and then Worked for the um, women's first team, women's team for four, four and a half seasons. Um, 
and that's how I got into football and a uh, uh, very interesting period. So the team just uh, um, got their license to play professional football in the Netherlands. So uh, uh, I was I was at the start of building the team and and the team behind the team and um, all the amateurs moved into a professional uh, situation, which was. Uh, a steep learning curve so uh, um, I learned a lot during during those four years and that's where I got hooked to uh, the professional environment and and working on nitty-gritty details to make people better every day uh, over a longer period of time and then uh, yeah try to detach yourself every now and then to see the big picture and I quite like that so uh, that's what got me hooked on in 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 professional football but in sports it's my family i come from a a, a very uh, uh yeah sporting uh, family um my my mom uh was a swimmer back in her uh, days um my dad played tennis hockey uh could play anything with a ball uh was was a, quite the athlete not on a professional level but he liked to play uh sports my mom as well my brother was a good tennis player could play hockey very well so uh we had a big backyard and pretty pretty much every ball that you could think of from basketball to baseball to rugby ball it was there and they they did not promote it but unconsciously they they promoted it uh so we were out and about all day, every day, and that got me into the uh, the. I, I just like sports a lot. So, uh, the, the football and sports, uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a good marriage so far. It's interesting because to have a mentor like that at the time, passing on such invaluable knowledge, you know, the wise old master, you know, the yeah. mentee has become the mentor, and right now you're yeah. at a high performance at yeah. a FC Utrecht. I mean, how would you define that role, Jerome? Um, that's very interesting um, because when I started, there was um, a team working, but not with uh, uh, a clear goal and direction. Um, so uh, the, the task I was given was to bring a philosophy, a performance philosophy into the team, uh, into the club, into the academy, and then, and then just, yeah, spread it out to uh, everyone um, within the club. Um, but I always also was uh, operational. So I was also uh, a physio and a strength coach uh, um, and a rehab trainer. So I, I was a chameleon, so to speak, a jack of all trades, because we were a small team back then. Everyone needed to know a bit of everything. Uh, and I quite like that. I'm not a specialist. I don't want to know uh, everything of one thing. I want to know uh, one thing of everything. It's the other way around. And um, yeah, that mindset I try to bring to my team as well. So it's not, we're not black and white. The doctor needs to know of the physio. The physio needs to know of the doctor. And the nutritionist needs to know of them too. But they also need to know what the nutritionist is doing. Not all of it, but a tiny bit. So we became gray. And that, that was... Uh, um, the first thing I changed within the team, um, have an interest in the person, have an interest in the professional um, and work our way up from there to, well, 
new foundations that we uh, put in place. Um, that's how we started. And, and so far, so good. We're four and a half years in, our fifth season with the same team, which is uh, um, quite special in professional football. We've added team member team members uh, left and right, but the, 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 the core of the team is still intact. Um, and they all move they all move to new positions within the within the club, new senior positions. So um, yeah, we, we like to grow people uh, as well as athletes. Uh, so um, yeah, quite the journey so far. It's very interesting. You're speaking about uh, being a generalist out, a specialist generalist. That's something which I've been rising, I've been reading up about quite a bit. And don't know if you know Dave Slemon and his work with Elite Performance Partners. Yep. Absolutely. But they put out a great article last year, The Rise of the T-Shaped Practitioner in Sports. So it's very interesting that your work echoes of that. But, um, I mean, we're speaking about high performance, but I suppose you can strangle that too with culture. And you spoke about people coming into the building, people coming out of the building, but that direction, that goal, and that core group of staff seems you know, still really intact. How would you yeah, come yeah. to describe the culture and the performance culture within that? Jerome at FC Utrecht? Um, well, to me, culture is um, the utter, unwritten rules of behavior. So it, it's how you move in a club uh, with your uh, actions. And then it's the unwritten rules of the non-verbal uh, uh, the non-verbal skills that you have and the language that goes with your non-verbal uh, skills. So to me, um, culture is nothing more than the way people act and react to one another. Um, and you, they were already there. There was a strong culture within the club, but there was not really a strong culture within my department. So the technical side was super strong. The academy was, you know, a very good academy within within the Netherlands, um, from the U9s up to the U23s and the first team, but the culture of the let's say the medical and the physical department, uh, um, that, that, there was a culture of hard work, twenty four seven, but not a culture of how to interact with another, how to communicate with one another, and that's something that I try to lead by example um, and that's how we got to build one so the, the club uh, uh, gave us time plenty of time to to build a culture but and that's something that's super important when you try to change a culture is that you that you're given time because you can't change that overnight it goes with small small and tiny steps so uh, um but it, it's the unwritten rules of be, of of how we behave and how we interact with one another. And, it's very, um, in, it's very interesting, Jerome, isn't it? Because I asked a similar, I asked the same question, in fact, to Stuart Lancaster, who's the senior rugby coach at Lancaster. Yeah. What he spoke back to me is that basically, I mean, with again the key factor behind long term performance is the people currently within the four walls. I mean, Stuart said you can break that down into three separate strands. And, you know, number one being good people want to join your organization. Two, yeah, yeah. the people that would are already within your organization want to stay. And three, people that do on fact go to leave, reflecting those years at Utrecht, Leinster Rugby, whatnot, and say those were the best years of my life. 
So, I mean, both off camera today and on camera now, I mean, we've been speaking out a lot about people. People seems to be a topical theme whenever we seem to speak to our own. I mean, yeah. how do, exactly does Utrecht invest in its own? Um, by giving people chances to develop as a person and as a professional. Uh, it's it's the, the core job of a physiotherapist within the first team is to prepare players for training. Um, when they do sustain an injury, rehab them as efficiently as and effectively as possible, as fast as you can, uh, to avoid injuries by critical reasoning and logical thinking on how to prepare a player better for the the, the the next phase of his career or for for uh, uh, the next period of matches. Um, so that that that's his core strapping up ankles, uh, post-game recovery sessions and whatnot. But that doesn't develop the person. That does develop the professional. So we make sure that with CPD on the professional side, we also um, spend plenty of time on the personal side. Um, if some of them have been given a coach, so an outside mentor coach, um, to talk life in general, to talk um bumps on the road that they that they face uh, as a person the, the struggles that they have within our business which is high demand high paced um, and it's proactive so don't we don't wait for issues to arise we seek out uh, we seek out the professional advice before things happen um, so that that's how we try to uh, develop our staff or the, the performance staff in this case. Um, and one thing we also started doing from the beginning is we do um, internal CPD sessions, not just on content of, of a physiotherapy uh, uh, issue that or an injury of, of a player or um, but on a more personal level. So uh, we have built a mentor system of the first team physio is in contact with the U23 physio and the U18, 17, 16 physio on a weekly basis. And they discuss, um, well, cases that they see in their team, but they also discuss, all right, what did you experience? What did you feel? How did you manage your negative thoughts? How did you manage your negative emotions? And just asking a question and then active listening helps to connect on 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 uh, um, a personal level, but also build strong connections on a professional level. And um, it it's when when a U17 physio joins the team, uh, he's usually a young gun. He's he's fresh out of school and he's excited about wearing the badge and, and, and wearing the jersey and to work for a professional football club. But to us, it's, it's I don't want to say it's, it's, it's work, but it's, or just work, it's, it's much more than that. It's, it's about connecting with that person. And to them, the first team is like, wow, I'm, I'm, I, I can speak to a first team staff member. And then after four weeks, he's like, I'm speaking to a first team staff member. And 
it becomes completely normal and then seeking advice and active coaching and proactive management of uh, uh, issues is is much easier and much quicker and much more reliable in the long term um, and that's that's what we set out to do five years ago and one thing that is culture to me as well is if you make a change you stick to that change uh, uh, as long as it is a good one and be open and vulnerable if that change turns out to be a negative one be very critical and yeah strong enough to to delete that thing that you wanted to change and go back to a new one or move into uh, move to a new one and um yeah that's that's how we try to develop our staff as a whole and as a person it's absolutely fantastic Jerome and Jerome I mean obviously we're just speaking about your investment in people particularly and then establishing that one club philosophy all the way from the academy to the men's and women's team. But, I mean, off-camera just before today, I mean, we were discussing, I mean, I have written down here, actually, grit gives you grip. Yeah. And the IT in grit, right, being interconnectedness amongst team members, the TB and teamwork. Can you explain a bit more to the audience and to everyone who's listening what exactly that means when it comes to team building? Grit gives you grip. <clears throat> Well, grit gives you grip is something that um, starts with the G and G is the gut feel. And uh, as we've discussed that to me, that is uh, um, a super important part of building a team. Gut feel is your safety uh, uh, measure. Uh, it needs to feel good in order to feel connected to people. And it starts with gut feel. If you enter a room, you know uh, more people than, than me have done research on this and mine is just empirical. But if you walk into a room, you can feel the energy and the temperature. And, and uh, you, you, you walk into the dressing room, you're like, this is going to be a good day. You just know it because the energy is right. And that's your gut feel. You can't put a finger on it. It's the gut feel that gives you that, 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 that feeling and that knowledge. Um, and in order to build a team, you have to start with the gut. It 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 all starts there, and then then you can build on a relationship, the R and grit. Um, uh, and if the gut feel and the relationship are in tune with one another, you can work on 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 content on content and and start talking and start having discussions, and then you get interconnectedness. And that's the I in, in grit. And then you become a team. It, it has to be in that specific order, not the other way around. And you can't mix and match them. It has to start with gut, then relationship. And then it, that turns into interconnectedness between team members. And then you have a team. And grit, if if I say to people, what does grit mean? They they, they make a fist and they, they, uh, they show a strong face. Um, but grip is exactly the same. Not with maybe not with a strong face, but it is making a fist, and it's holding on to something. And and grit gives you grip if you have a team that has their gut feel aligned, that work on a on their relationship on a daily basis, that stay interconnected to one another on a daily level. And you have to repeat that every single day. Um, 
that team starts to get a grip on things and then you will work well on the pressure they will seek out the pressure they will find they will try and find pressure they will do the things that are necessary to gain that one percent momentum um in order to help athletes because that's what we do um we want to win games in the end but we need a team to be able to win games um so the team behind the team what you give is what you get so if my team is not in line you've the players do know and do feel that if i had a massive discussion discussion with one of my team members or with a, another technical staff member they pick up on that energy straight up they just they they just poke into that painful spot and they uh, what's up what happened what's going on because they want to feel safe as well they know there's people making this uh, uh, decisions about the best way forward and i follow as a player I do want the leaders, so to speak, to be trustworthy and to to give us the right direction. And if they have issues, that's not good for the safety of the group. So their gut feel plays up as well. So um, to me, that is uh, the most important thing, what you give is what you get. And we've said this before, and our head coach uh, repeated it again yesterday. To get energy, you need to spend energy. And the team behind the teams has to spend a lot of positive energy in detail to individuals and to the team as a whole in order to make them feel safe and to make them move towards oh, uncomfortable grounds. Because in order to win games, you need to well put yourself in stressful situations to get better. Uh, and that what that is what training is to me. It's it's to find the things you have to improve on, but they are uncomfortable. But not new learning new things is not always nice because you feel a lot of the times, and you, you need to embrace that and be vulnerable and, and let that happen. And then the magic will happen. And that's what I. That's when I found the grit gives you grip. Uh, um, well, I wouldn't call it philosophy, but that's how I like to work. And then you get the 1% every day onwards and upwards philosophy because that to me is, is is underpinning that philosophy. It's interesting though, this concept of grip. Jerome, it seems to be a two-pronged concept in a sense because those results, when you speak about the interconnectedness, the teamwork, the psychological safety of the group is a consequence of people buying into the vision and the mission. Yeah. On the other hand, also, it's an emergent property. Yeah. It's something which can't be controlled. It's something which can't necessarily be distorted or at the best of times articulated due to that yeah. gut feeling. But that moves us on nicely to the next question because anyone who follows you on LinkedIn, anyone that's spoken to you has always <laughs> mentioned to me too about these 1% improvements. You are massive on these marital gains of 1% improvements. What exactly are they in your own environment? in my own environment or in my work environment <laughs> in your work environment <laughs> okay okay, okay. Uh, yeah yeah a very important one um it's it it's it's 15 minutes a day working towards a shared goal that you have with the team and in, in my case that's the team behind the team 
performance optimization, performance preparation. Uh, that that to me is is that that that's that's my 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 job. And I try to make it alive for a person to get his thinking aligned with mine, the one percent one percent mentality, because it's difficult to grasp what it is. But to me, it's fifteen minutes of your day, and it can be fifteen one minutes or one times one time fifteen minutes. Um, drive to work for half an hour, and fifteen minutes of that thirty minutes you spent on preparing your chat to people to players, preparing your uh, uh, subject that of the day to a person or I want to change his mindset on whatever um, on his energy going out onto the pitch because it's raining and he's usually quite uh, I don't want to train in the rain whatever um, and that 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 1% is spending 15 minutes of your time thinking on how to best prepare that player on changing his mindset that he wants to train even when it's raining cats and dogs i like that one um uh that's the one percent so the rest of the day you have the 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 day will 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 move towards the end of the day things will happen variables will come up uh, um that's all okay but you can change one tiny bit of that person's performance that day in order to make a change for him to perform better and if he has a better mindset training in the ring he will run faster he will make that final pass he will try and uh, uh, put pressure on his opponent and not he will not pressure the space in front of that opponent he will pressure the ball that the opponent has. And then he will be uh, more, um, he will be more successful. And that will help him on in the long term to be more successful. And if you do that every single day, and it can be jump height for a player, that you that you super that you focus a lot on that on that jump height. You can't control everything and you can't change everything overnight. You need to pick and choose. Tiny gains, but if you put 1% on already 100%, then 1% of 100%, 101% is more. And then that's compound interest to me. Then over time, you'll get that steep curve. And then all of a sudden, you look back, you're like, geez, you've changed a bit for the better. And that's the 1% gain that we're always seeking. And this was a super simple example of that philosophy. Try not to think too big. Try to take small steps. But if you've chosen that step, stay on that track of changing that one tiny goal. And then over time, you will see a change. And then things have changed left and right of that big change as well because you've improved the player's performance. You've improved the staff member's performance, whatever. Uh, don't make it too big. Make it digestible. Make make it small and make it... You can you can see the change in front of your eyes. That That's the best part of it. And people always speak about that 1% change, Jerome, in the positive. 
like to play devil's advocate, you know, if you have a staff member that's continuously pumping out, you know, doing these extra 15 minutes in the care prior to training and, and it's not working out, it's not going in the right direction. What does that conversation look like with that staff member to alter course? Um, yeah, it depends on, on, on his... People have to be open-minded for that conversation in the beginning. If they're not curious and open-minded, then the conversation is, is well, I, I don't want to have that conversation. Sometimes the hard conversations are very important, but people need to be curious and open-minded. So open their mind first to the conversation and ask questions instead of you telling them what they need to change in order to find the change in that 1% philosophy. So uh, uh, open-ended questions work best. What do you think? Why do you think? Uh, uh, because we work. I work with professionals that have a very good set of brains, that have a very good set of uh, working skills and a good work ethic, and they have experience. And we brought them in for that reason, so they have, good thinking skills as well, they can find the solution. I just open a few doors in their brain and see where they start to connect the dot and say, ah, yeah, that's that's the one thing I have to change. And grit gives you grip. If you if you if 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 you have grit as a team, it might be the case that he is not the best person for that task within the team and we need maybe to change the, the 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 responsibility from one team member to another and that needs to be an open conversation and you have to show no i wouldn't say weakness but uh, um, you have to show that it's okay that sometimes you're not able to make the necessary change or you're not able to find that one percent that you think you can change in order to help an, a player to become a better player or a better person, better athlete, whatever. Um, so I wouldn't say that to be. I wouldn't say that should be a, a tough conversation because we've already built in the beginning of our relationship a strong foundation of hard communication. Hard on content, soft on person. So we can discuss pretty much everything, any time of the day. Uh, when thing, things don't work, just tell each other. Help each that That's helping each other. I think underpinning all of this, Jerome, is the vision, mission, and culture piece at play. Because, I mean, a big, a big part of your work and what we've spoken about thus far in this podcast has been about people. And it certainly takes a type of personality to work in high-performance sports. I imagine for yourself as a leader, it's a tricky balance managing the ups and downs of football whilst keeping the end of mind. But having that end of mind obviously makes your job infinitely easier. Yeah, because I try to... Uh, uh, when when things don't go as planned, um, you have to find positive somewhere. Just, just in order to keep momentum going, and then uh, a loss is a loss, and I, I feel that loss a lot. I don't like to lose. I like winning way more than I like losing. But in losses are a lot of valuable lessons that you can take 
uh, uh, into discussions and conversations in order to get a better picture on what went wrong and how can we prove because that's one thing that that sets us apart from maybe other businesses I'm, I'm not used to other businesses i can't speak for them but we're never satisfied and we're never happy with result because if we win then all right next game we want to win again and then uh oh we, we we've lost all right uh, it was shit and let let's have a, a difficult discussion on what went wrong and you this did this and you did that and it, we have to make it better because the next game is three four five days ahead of us so we need to speed things up and we need to be within an hour after the game uh, you can't dwell on 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 the loss you can't stay in your emotional state of mind so that's a difficult one one thing that i did to protect myself from that is do not watch i did not watch games for a long period of time um my job was during the week for six days in a row and on 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 well we played a game on sunday and on saturday afternoon um i closed the door and gave the responsibility to the game day staff because i have done everything in my power to make a positive impact on the game uh and on monday morning whether it was a win or a loss i was neutral and objective and i could make that day valuable and not dwell dwell on the loss and our, it was a shit game and and and, and I was like, no, 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 we've got work to do. There's a game coming up on, on Saturday. We need to move because if we don't do stuff this day, it's a day lost. And we, then we're two days, uh, uh, we, we lose two days because on Tuesday, it's usually a rest day. And then we get a new chance on Wednesday. And then it's three days in, in front of the next game. So if we make a change today, it better be a positive one in order to make the necessary steps towards a different outcome on game day. And now we change within the team. So I do games as well uh, um, every other week or every two weeks. This week, I do three games in a row um, because one of my staff members uh, uh, had a kit uh, on Monday. So uh, uh, we need to give him some downtime to spend with the family. Fantastic. We can do that now because we are... Um, interchangeable. We we can we can well we can work in each other's roles because the players are used to that. We are used to that. We know each other's tasks and responsibilities. We've discussed that um, over and over and over, and we've rehearsed and trained that over and over. And that that gives us the opportunity to go in, go out, go in, go out, and stay fresh and on top of things. It's fantastic. It's passing on the baton. Of high performance, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, it's brilliant. And I mean, in a wider context, we're speaking about, of course, your own one percent in your work environment and the one percent of others within that work environment. But you yourself, as an individual and as a person, Jerome, I mean, where do you look on the outside? Do you look towards other industries? Do you look towards other sports? Do you look completely outside that spectrum, if at all, whatsoever? invest in you yourself to eke out more in terms of those one percent um by being a generalist um and by 
liking to have a big picture. I like, I, I have interest in a lot of things and that's not always easy because I have a lot on my um, to-do list when I want to find inspiration or energy. Um, I like to talk to people like you and, and get your knowledge and experience and, and, and expertise on things. Uh, experts in, in the same industry. I like to, to spend time with them. Uh, I had a, 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 a colleague and friend over from China yesterday all day, and then he gives me so much inspiration, out-of-the-box thinking, um, and he asked a lot of why questions, and that gives me uh, um, a moment of reflection as well, which is which is nice. Outside of our industry, which is the sports industry, I, I like other sports. That's what I already told in the beginning. I like to watch a lot of sports. Uh, I don't have time for it all the time because I have a, a, a two little ones, so they take up a lot of free time as well, which is fantastic. But I read a ton. I listen to podcasts, podcasts whenever I can. Um, and yeah, I, I try to be as open as I can to whatever information comes my way and to see if I can fit that into my way of work, my way of thinking, uh, and, and, and especially the, the, the reasoning of my thinking, if that's correct still in this day and age with the place that I work with, because the place that I worked with five years ago at the exact same club are different than the place I have to, I have to work with right now. Um, Times have changed and I need to evolve as well. And I have to be innovative to, to, well, stay up and running because that's what we have to do. Um, so my source of inspiration come from all over. And I mean, someone who looks so far on the outside of football, Jerome, I mean, you might be best suited for the next question to answer. I mean, cross pollinating <laughs> from other industries, other sports and whatnot. I mean, where do you see the next evolution of high performance in football coming from? Um, yeah, I, I think it's the, the specialists um, that uh, I, I take inspiration from different sports and what I think will happen in the next 10 to 15 years. The mental side of the game will, will play a, a bigger role um, pretty much every year. And the next thing that I think will change is that we start to train our athletes in a different way. So we have the de defensive line and they will train with the defensive line on a given day. Let's say match day minus three specific defensive skills. And the offense will play with the attacking midfielders. They will train with the attacking midfielders in the afternoon and not necessarily in the morning. So the defense will train in the morning and the offense will train in the afternoon. And then they will merge the next day. So you, you will have specialists. So the warm-up is suited to the defensive team. And then the, the passing drills are defensive passing drills and the positional plays, defensive positional play. Because what I see often still, and I'm not a, I'm not a football coach, but it just... I asked the why question well, all day, every day, basically, is we do a warm-up, everyone does the same. We do a passing drill, everyone does the same. We do a positional play. We play um, 
whatever, 77 uh, plus 3, uh, everyone does the same. So all of a sudden, it's one size fits all. Um, and that's that's good because you have to be, well, uh, 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 flexible and versatile in your, in your um, position. But I think it will become more and more specialistic. So the, the central defender, he will have more moments of individual and, and central defending training during the week um, to prep him best for, for game day because um, that's what it's it's a tiny fraction of the week now and it will become a bigger bigger chunk of the week it will become a bigger chunk of the week that's I think that's the evolution of um, high performance in soccer in 10 to 15 years time and that's and that's it's blending technical and and the performance world a little bit uh, together because I think also the specialists in the high performance world will not there will be, there will not be gym based sessions for uh, everyone at the same time. We all have this is the training program of today. Let's all do it. It will be much more individualistic, and we work our way towards that point already. But we're nowhere near where I think it will be in ten years' time. It's certainly, very much a case of watch the space to run, isn't it? And it's going to be interesting to see what emerges in the coming few years and. Mm people begin to yeah. gravitate towards that line of thinking. I mean, who's going to be the first to share best practice and whatnot, but I think that's a conversation for another day. Um, Jerome, I have to say a big thank you for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure to host you. However, as we begin to close the podcast, I always do a one final question. Um, for anyone who's the slightest bit inspired, I haven't listened to you and gleaned any learnings into the high-performance environment that is FC Utrecht, and indeed yourself, Jerome. I mean, what advice would you have for them? <clears throat> Try to find people that would like to mentor you because that's that, that, that was my one thing that helped me the most. People that took me under their wing. Uh, and that's it's not easy to find one. But, but if you want to if you if you want energy you need to spend energy and it, it's the same with your journey so far you have to put in the hard work and you have to put out the feelers and you have to well invest in your network to to find that one person that can help you and guide you through because it's it's a bumpy road sometimes and you you meet fantastic people but you also meet some not so fantastic people and and in order to stay on track, it's it's good to speak to someone every now and then, and and ask ask them a few questions. And uh, um, well, I th I think that that's the biggest one that I would give people, and try not to make it too big. Stay on top of that one percent, because that makes it easier to detach, take a step back, and look at the bigger picture and see where you come from and see where you're heading, and then. It's small, tiny steps, and just keep that in mind, and and celebrate those tiny, tiny victories that you that you have on a daily basis. Life is fantastic, and even better if you have that positive self-talk, and those victories they motivate big time. They they truly do motivate. And if you say what you want to achieve, 
and speak out loud, you 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 hold yourself accountable because people expect then you to to do it. So it's it that's that's a scary thing, but it's a good thing. You're on some absolutely cracking advice to close the show. Thanks so much for coming and hopefully you enjoyed it half as much as I did recording this. Absolutely. It was a massive pleasure and I felt honored being on this show. Thanks for that, Connor.